what's on your guys' mind? What's the interesting thing you were going to say, Adam? Well, I, I was curious what Jeff thought about this because for, I think for a, a split moment in time recently, um, I think the right wing had a real opportunity to, by default, if they wanted to seize the moment, they could actually be the political apparatus that was going to um, uphold classical liberal norms, such as freedom of expression, debate, and that they could have actually made them, they could have literally shifted the paradigm in a way that really like the right would become the backer of art in American culture at this moment in time, at least given what we, given what's possible um, in present political economy. Now, that being said, I have found to a degree that the right-wing publications that ask me to write for them have a very set window of ideological acceptability. Um, not to the extent that uh, left-wing magazines do, where it's like the criteria is massive and you have to almost like hit every single point on the criteria. But the right wing, especially the stuff that I write about, where I have passages about jerking off and <laughs> prostitution and drugs, etc., cetera, uh, definitely can't get away with everything, which is fine because I've built an platform that's big enough that I don't really need to use other outlets anymore. But it is nice to broaden your audience. And it is just something like a roadblock that I've been coming across at this point. And I was curious what Jeff, if you've had any kind of similar experience, or you think that that's correct. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested in that. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm also, you know, asked to write for sort of more right-wing publications. Um, I think because I don't write about the arts in the way that you do, Adam, I'm, mm -hmm. um, my experience is probably different. And, you know, I'd say overall it's, it's quite different in that I'd say in terms of what kinds of, I mean, my, my basic take on this is, is something like the following. I think at this point you have a number of young editors at <clears throat> sort of more conservative publications who are, elite educated, um, you know, were exposed to a wide range of stuff through their education, you know, and, th and they're kind of aware that the right-wing intellectual tradition that's dominated the sort of American conservative world for the past couple generations is extremely limiting and is extremely impoverished. And, you know, that basically you have this generation of conservatives that are brought up on sort of you know, like at the lower end, sort of Ayn Rand and at the higher end, um, <clears throat> you know, Russell Kirk or somebody like that. And yeah, I, I don't really know Russell Kirk's work. I don't, you know, so I, I'm not, I'm not uh, necessarily dunking on him, but, you know, I, I think there, um, there is a kind of opening to, first of all, because, and this is sort of related to what I've written about, you know, because the left itself has, if in effect, if not in name, sort of <clears throat> relinquished a lot of its sort of supposed theoretical commitments to certain thinkers and their contributions, you know, that they've, you know, in my language, the, these, some of these thinkers have become kind of orphaned, right? And so then um, there's sort of a, an opening for, again, I think these, these quite a few sort of usually younger editors at these conservative publications to kind of figure out how they can increase the range of ideas that they're engaging with and using to make sense of the weird shit that's been going on. <laughs> so I think, so I think there's that opening. I'd say the, the example that maybe overlaps with your, um, with, with your comments is that, you know, the, probably like my biggest article of the past year in terms of like how many people have read it the one for American Affairs on Foucault, right? Yeah. And so one thing that I, that's extremely interesting to see is how split the right is on this because they are 
I mean, I think the more astute among them are are giving um, Foucault and related thinkers a second look right now. <clears throat> and then there is also a huge um, sort of coalition of them who are extremely committed to the idea that you know Foucault is a pedophile and therefore is evil and and can never be engaged with right right and so and then and then you know so so on one hand you have that right so you know these figures who are just kind of anathematized um and sort of associated with all kinds of taboos and then on the other hand you have the kind of influence of you know the sort of James Lindsay um sort of anti-critical race theory um, sort of movement, which is, you know, extremely sort of, I mean, it's, it's entire account of sort of 20th century, um, of, of 20th century intellectual history is a kind of, you know, embarrassing kind of joke. I mean, and so to the extent that those kind of people have influence, I think they're, they're really pushing against this, this other tendency to, you know, kind of um, expand the range of, of ideas and thinkers that are being entertained and particularly brought into the discussion about what's going on. Because I think you do have this, um, this other um, move towards just this kind of, I mean, I would say kind of aggressive ignorance is, is how I'd characterize people like Lindsay, right? They're, they're just kind of, um, you know, they're basically interested purely in doing propaganda and, right. and not really in understanding anything. So, right. You know what? That's one thing I want to talk about was this crazy thing that I've been noticing. And, other, and of course, other Jeff, you wrote this whole article about uh, theory cells in Trump world, I think is the name of the article. And it's basically about how all these people on the right are like getting into like fucking uh, Heidegger and like uh, or like people thought of as like on the left, you know, in the 60s, like French intellectual thinkers like Derrida and shit like that. But you know, one thing I've also been seeing is, uh, like, the Gramscian right. Like, Antonio Gramsci, who I'm really into, um, he's being really picked up and read by the right. Antonio Gramsci? He's picked up by the right these days. Hell yeah, dude. You don't know about the Gramscian right? Jeff, tell him about the fucking Gramscian I had no right fucking shit. idea. You know, there's yeah, also I mean, this guy that fucks with Dugan. I all, I really know about this from... Well, Dugan, Dugan makes a lot more sense to me than Gramsci. I mean, Gramsci's, yeah. like, as bougie communist as it I gets. know, right? Yeah. He's really, like, yeah, like, he's usually been... You would think of him as, like, on the left or whatever. As he's like this totally bourgeois communist. Well, dude, like, fucking... So, look, Jeff, fucking, in that in that article, you, you said, um, you know, like, uh, who was it that said, you know, Breitbart, that said uh, culture is... Or politics is downstream from culture, right? And that yeah. is a Gramscian idea. Right. Yeah, so I think... I mean, okay, so you have this sort of... Um, I, I think the the sort of modern popularization of Gramscian thought on the left is I mean I associated with like Chantal Mouffe and Ernesto yeah. Laclau and that um, that book about what is solidarity contingency hegemony as that was called yeah um, and so you know that there is a kind of I mean the interesting thing I see is that there is this kind of direct line where I mean you know that that whole argument was was sort of complex but. You know, it roughly outlines a sort of strategy of the left that, you know, still exists to some extent, although, you know, largely to, largely to the benefit of its continued affiliation with, you know, sort of major corporate neoliberal blob <laughs> parties like the yeah. Democrats here and Labour in the UK. But, um, you know, that, that basically argued that you had to you know, adopt this range of kind of cultural strategies um, that you couldn't simply rely on, you know, sort of labor organizing. And, and instead you had to, you know, basically um, shift the cultural hegemony, sh shift the cultural hegemony through, you know, cr creating these kind of alliances between different. So, I mean, that's, you know, basically pretty, pretty standard stuff right. at this point, but, but it did come out of this kind of rediscovery of Gramsci as I, as I understand it. And That's then, and then what you get, I think, is this kind of way that the right itself embraces some version of this. Um, and you know, I th I think it's like 
there's always a there's always a kind of difficulty between prescription and description like you know i I think part of the point of that would be you don't really need that theory to do a strategy like this in some sense a lot of it just comes about to the extent that the theory is adequately describing something that's happening right and so i think you know what you do though find with like breitbart and the founding of breitbart is this kind of explicit embrace of it and you know Arguably, the right has always kind of relied on various kinds of, you know, quote unquote, cultural strategies. I mean, that's, you know, if, if you go back to like the, the function of the religious right and all of that stuff, which, which of course failed dramatically in the, Obama, uh, you know, by the first Obama term, right? The whole cultural strategy of the right, which had been defined by basically abortion and opposition to gay marriage and things like that. I mean, it was all at least as a strategy for sort of cultural hegemony had had disastrously failed, right? And so what you yeah. get with somebody like Breitbart is an attempt to figure out different cultural strategies, right? And then that coalesces around the kind of, um, you know, basically the sort of the, the various things that Bannon, who's Breitbart's collaborator, you know, attempted to do, right? And so, yeah, I mean, I think there is this kind of... Um, Semi, semi-overt Grahamism that comes out of Breitbart and that <clears throat> I think Bannon, regardless of how well-versed he is in Gramsci, I'd guess not really that much, you know, is, is at least apprised of a version of. And so then, yeah, you get this kind of, um, y- you know, you get this kind of parallelism where, and, you know, I would say, like, actually, this is sort of what Kill All Normies is about too, right? Yeah, totally. Um, that, that you have this kind of parallelism where, where you have these two kind of cultural strategies that are um, that are sort of chafing against each other. Dude, Richard coalesce Spencer. in the sort of online culture wars of, you know, that kind of crested like five or six years ago. Yeah. Yeah, no, Richard Spencer wrote like uh, his like college, like a fucking, he wrote something in college, like on Gramsci or something. I think he, he like studied Gramsci in college. He's, he's a like a, he's fucking, a Gramsci scholar. He's isn't a fucking he? fed is what he is. Oh no, he's totally. Totally FBI. <laughs> but, <laughs> and uh, this is really family. interesting to me actually, because I mean, Gramsci's theory in retrospect is almost discredited. Like, you know, uh, it turns out that if you are just trying to capture, I mean, because the left captured the cultural hegemony. They absolutely fucking won. You know, their values are at the center of the mainstream establishment. And I'll say this with the addendum, historical non-voter, but at this moment in time, when I see uh, basic liberal values under assault, that took hundreds of years of armed conflict to secure, whether it's speech, expression, due process, when these are all under assault by a left-wing establishment, I'm going to vote Republican basically every fucking election at this point. Um, I don't even care. It's not even like, I'm just not going to even think about it. I'm just going to start checking off ours, like, indiscriminately. But that said, if I do have one major critique of the right at this moment in time is they still seem not everybody of course but there is still this thing where the right seems to think that they can control the superstructure without shifting political economy or or offering a new vision of politics and economics um and and you know and with that like you have God, I kind of lost my train of thought right now. Um, well, let me, I mean, can I bring in an example that yeah, might absolutely. be relevant? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I wasn't, yeah, I didn't honestly follow or pay that much attention to any of it, but, you know, this whole Virginia governor election is kind of a good example that, I mean, you know, it's it was clearly a kind of pretty wide range of, of things that led to it. But, you know, the extent to which the narrative was that, you know, the real winning uh, ticket is to fight critical race theory in schools. I mean, you know, that's an extra, I mean, another thing that I've been thinking about a lot and I I have a piece coming out about this sometime soon is um, the whole state of exception 
concept. <clears throat> and, um, you know, what, what's interesting is the way that sort of um, identifying and responding to kind of state of exception politics on the opponent's side is kind of often seems to become the, the means by which you sort of engage in your own state of exception politics. And so, you know, I think the, the sort of the idea that, um, you know, this, this is just kind of trying to flesh out what I think you were pointing at, Adam, but like, you know, the idea that polit of a politics, you know, largely, at least in messaging terms, oriented around this idea of this, like, crisis in the schools that you have to return to, you know, colorblind uh, educational Praxis. I mean, it's it's a very, you know, it's it's an extremely shallow analysis, right? Which which nevertheless has great propagandistic power, right? Um, and so, but but it's not it, it's not rooted in anything deeper than the idea that there's this immediate crisis that you have to undo, right? And I think that that um, that does not point to anything particularly. I mean, however you feel about the actual proposal of <clears throat> or, you know, how real is it? I mean, I don't know. You know, however you feel about the actual proposal, like the fact that it becomes the headline issue is is revealing of how shallow the analysis is. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'd say as far as like COVID politics, you know, and I don't, you know, and I don't really have an opinion as to how big of a, a factor that actually was and how people voted in Virginia. I will say what's what seems significant is that everybody was, you know, that it was taken to be that. Like, it it doesn't really matter if that's what people actually thought. It was the message that was extracted from it and everybody was patting Chris Rufo on the back, right? Um, and so that was kind of a successful contestation of hegemony, right? Totally. Even if even if it didn't go very deep in terms of how it prompted people to vote, it still just radically shifted the narrative. Right. Um, but but I think that that also points to the shallowness of this kind of politics of shifting hegemony, right? Because it it doesn't really ultimately go much beyond sort of temporarily shifting the terms of a narrative or, or sort of reversing the terms of a narrative. And oh yeah, and that reminds me of what I wanted to say because I think. I think absolutely people are justifiably very worried about there being like an enforced racial paranoia in like children's schools. So it's an easy fucking issue to really kind of exploit and get some fucking votes out of because even at face, the idea that like, oh, let's start teaching kids that, you know, there's these innate divisions that you know have just been there for hundreds of years and they have to just learn to be like conscious and paranoid about it constantly. Um, but like, I don't know, fuck, I keep forgetting what the fuck I was gonna say. Holy shit, I'm a mess today. Um, but uh, it's like, it's like, I just see the right wing, right? Like they have a real opportunity right now because the burnout from left liberal hegemony and rule is like exceedingly real. And um, you take something like COVID. I mean, that's such a winning issue there. I have tons of friends who can't get fucking jobs anymore just because they don't want to take a vaccine that they, that they don't need or whatever. Um, I do feel like there's this like limitations that always just kinds of happens in politics that are sort of, for one thing, sort of backed by niche interest groups. And I find that a lot in the media sphere too all these companies have backing with their own kind of interests. Um, but I mean, uh, but like, I think like the central contradiction is like, if the right wing wants to win and, and I think they do. And I think that they have like, as far as like, you know, actually existing politics are concerned, they have like a serious, claim to want to oppose what's going on right now but 
Um, <clears throat> but like, so, sorry, can you cut this? I'm kind of like forgetting what I'm saying right now. No, yeah. Also, yeah, I can I can jump in real quick because I had some other shit to say. I just had like uh, I just had one thing to say, but I, it keeps like slipping my fucking mind. Well, yeah, just just whenever you think of it, just fucking yeah, yeah. Go go ahead. I'll but, think um, of it. Okay. Um. Well, yeah. No, I had two things. Okay, one thing we'll get to. I want to get out. <laughs> I want to get out of the way because I've been curious, and I know that Jeff, you're a Foucault fucking guy, right? So, um. You know, and so I liked Foucault. He was one of the people, one of the first people I really got into reading. Um, and then you late, you later learn about the fucking, you know, like, you know, just what you said earlier, like the pedophile shit. What is up with, why do people think Foucault is a pedophile? What is up with this whole French uh, philosopher shit of them being pedophiles or whatever? What is up with that? Yeah. 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 Well, I think, okay. So um, you certainly had this... Um, <laughs> this significant um debate or i i mean i i suppose it was a kind of debate i'm not a huge expert in it but um you know there there were a number of like open letters that were published in the 60s and 70s having to do with age of consent laws right and a number of a large number of sort of prominent french intellectuals including foucault signed these letters, right? And so, you know, I think within that period, there was a kind of, um, that there was a kind of sense that, you know, this was part of the sexual revolution. You can find people in the U.S. like, I mean, Allen Ginsberg, Allen Ginsberg, Ginsberg head, yeah. Who's, who's, who's also into this kind of stuff. Um, you know, Alma. there was a, yeah, exactly. So Nanwa. there was, there was a kind of, uh, you know, th- there was a period in which it was, re- it was not, um, uncommon to have this as sort of a a view that this would come out of the sort of sexual the politics of sexual liberation. So you know, on one hand, you have that Foucault was not particularly of an outlier among his sort of among the French intellectuals of that period. You can look at those letters; they were signed by just about everybody. Everyone, Deleuze, Guattari, <laughs> fucking everybody. everybody. Yeah. So, so you know, I think there's that. Um, I, I don't know, you know, that's, and then as far as his own activities, um, you know, whatever, I don't think in that period in particular, um, in the sort of gay subculture of Europe, you know, the idea that you'd be particularly worried about whether someone was above or under 18 was very common. Yeah. You know? It just it just wasn't really that big of a deal. 100%. The, the specific claim, and so the specific claim of him being a sort of literal pedophile as opposed to, you know, having liaisons with teenagers perhaps, um, which, you know, again, is not, would not have been uncommon in any of the gay subcultures in which he was um, involved both in Europe and the U S in that period. But, you know, the specific thing that came up earlier this year was, um, you know, essentially claiming that he was, sort of having sex with like actual young boys in Tunisia in when he was uh had a teaching post in Tunisia for a couple of years in the late 60s. So, you know, this is an un- unverified claim by a guy who does happen to be a sort of ideological who who I guess at, at a certain point was sort of a friend or acquaintance and to, you know, spend time with him when he visited Tunisia, another French intellectual, but who, you know, is is definitely a sort of conservative, a sort of cultural conservative and, <clears throat> you know, ideological opponent of Foucault. So it's it's not a particularly, you know, the 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 story that made the, you know, I'm I'm not going to say it's not true. I don't I don't know, but, you know, it's not it's it's just one person's word and that person happens to have been a sort of ideological opponents so it, it just doesn't seem particularly i don't know significant or revelatory of a of yeah an totally yeah um, but whatever i'm not but i but also like on some level i don't actually care that much yeah um, but exactly because you can still engage with the set with the content of the work yeah no matter yeah. what taking in every fucking biographical tendency exactly right but i think like i think I don't think my personal opinion was that Foucault was not a pedophile in that because because he was attracted to men, 
right? Like most of his lovers were men. He was a gay man. But at the time, I think it was kind of just like a libertine affectation of gay culture, especially gay intellectual culture. I mean, Burroughs fucked a lot of teenage boys in Tangier. Foucault <laughs> did his thing. At least, you know, because these things kind of change, like, according to historical context. And the way we they thought of it, it wasn't the same that we're, like, internalizing this now. Like, they would have thought it was, like, this sort of perverse, debonair, aristocratic affectation not necessarily like a really fucking dark canis like sex crime right yeah so i mean it's just like a different kind of mentality i was watching this william s burroughs documentary and mm. one of the people that they were interviewing was his like young boyfriend or whatever and yeah the, uh, the one he was with when he died the yeah. last one yeah and fucking you know they're they're talking about like it was just a normal thing you know like it totally wasn't a big deal uh, I'm not sure how old he was or if he was underage specifically. Um, but he was yeah, 18 when they met. Oh, okay. Well, then that should be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Fucking, you know, but Alan Ginsberg, that guy really, you know, was on the fucking like Nambla shit or whatever I think it's called. Um, but, uh, you know, like I still see people talk about Alan Ginsberg today, you know, and talk about how, how great his writing is and how much they like him. Like, well, he's a very he, serious poet. I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't you know. personally like his work, but there's no fucking doubt that he made history when he wrote Howl and all that. Yeah. He was part of a major moment in American literary history. The Beats, whether you like them or not, is a much historicized moment in our culture. So, yeah, like 50s. I mean, something, so trying to kind of draw a larger implication from all of this, I mean, I'd say on one level, you know, again, this, I, th I think, you know, I mean, and I saw this because, like, I think my, my piece on Foucault came out not that much longer after that, you know, allegation was made about Tunisia. Um, and I sort of saw the whole cycle of responses to it. Um, you know, I think there's this kind of, and, you know, this is sort of a criticism of the right, uh, you know, is, is that it, it, it gravitates obviously towards, you know, anything that's kind of useful as propaganda fodder against, against the left. And, you know, one of the points it, it really wants to make is, or one of the assertions it wants to make is this kind of, oh, they're pedophiles, they're perverts, degenerates, etc. Yeah, so, they're evil, like, So if they can, so if they can yeah. kind of enlist Poe in that, you know, in that it's, it's very useful to them, but, you know, I think it's, it's sort of short-sighted or limited in some ways. I mean, you know, again, I don't, I mean, I'm not sort of a Orthodox Foucauldian or anything like that. I don't, you know, I, I think there are like aspects of his thought that I'm sort of less um, influenced by than others, but, you know, he, um, it, you know, his whole body of work is a kind of interrogation of free of like the limits of freedom. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, so in that sense, we can think about the question of like the age of consent in terms of the the sort of intellectual tools that he gives us, right? Because he's he's somebody who's thinking historically about um, how these sorts of norms and standards and and sort of uh, <clears throat> moral frameworks come into existence and what you know what functions they perform, right? And so. You know, I think that one of the main weaknesses of this kind of desire to, you know, and I saw it again with this, like, I personally wasn't very, um, you know, I, I saw people I might otherwise agree with on a lot of things like, you know, there's something about this, um, some academic who's like written a book about quote unquote minor attracted people or something like that. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I you know, yeah. I, I, you know, so there are, of course, again, just a, a whole, uh, a whole cycle of sort of dunking, not only dunking on this, but but sort of, you know, actually trying to get this person canceled in effect, like on the right. So, but, you know, I think part of what's uh, bad about this whole degenerate, this whole like, oh, they're just degenerates and want to fuck children sort of <laughs> like <laughs> meme, which I, you can understand the appeal of and why they want to kind of make this type of argument is that, you know, it's, well, it goes it's much more, it's, shit and everything. right. But it's, but yeah, exactly. But it's much more complex than that because, 
you know, literally the other thing we've seen in the past few years, I mean, yes, so there may be actual, you know, queer left academics who are writing books about, you know, why we need to normalize minor attracted people or whatever. But at the same time, this is also, you know, a period in which, um, you know, this sort of insanely puritanical um, regime of consent has been has been brought into place um, in which, you know, ideas about this sort of age gap discourse, I mean, not just sort of age of consent, but just the, the idea that, you know, if there's any like age difference greater than a couple of years between two people, then they like literally can't consent to have sex with each other. So, I mean, what's bizarre is that if you, if you just focus on the, oh, they're pedophiles kind of side of things, what you're not noticing is that they are also in the process of attempting to, and I'd say in particularly in like university campuses, succeeding in um, setting up these unbelievably onerous um, and invasive um, new norms that, you know, point in essentially the opposite direction where, where almost, you know, it, where in fact the point is not to, um, to, you know, relax taboos, but to make essentially almost any sexual interaction ta potentially yes, taboo. Absolutely. So, I mean, what's bizarre is the way that both of those things are happening at once, right? Yeah. That, that yes, you can see on one hand this supposed kind of libertine relaxation, but at the same time, you see the opposite tendency taking hold in the exact same circles, right? And so the people who are making the cheap shots at Foucault or, or whoever, um, just so that they can peddle this sort of like, oh, they're degenerates meme, are not taking into account the fact that like, <laughs> from these same circles, what we're seeing is the emergence of this, you know, unbelievably invasive and sort of dictatorial regime of control regarding sexuality, right? And so, yeah. you know, and that's, that's a sense in which they're, you know, they're, um, sort of enthusiastic ignorance about anything Foucault had to say is, is, is hobbling them from actually, you know, using any of his insights to try to understand what the fuck is going on there. Right. And I, like, honestly, I probably do have, a, I have grown quite hard line on some of my positions, um, at least in terms of my politics. Like, I do think that the influence of NAMBLA is kind of like all over the politics of Antifa in certain sectors of the academic left in terms of problematizing childhood. Um, but I really despise like the, the wig nats and the alt-right types um, just as much as I kind of do the dirtbag left. And I, I really kind of see them in this dialogue Oh, yeah, that totally. together creates a force of repression. Like they really do kind of need each other, um, which is why right now, like I believe if the right wing was gonna make a case for, this is gonna sound so boring, but if the right wing was just gonna make a generalized case for freedom, at least the freedom, the idea of freedom that was won by French aristocrats in the 19th century, that is uh, life, liberty, property, et cetera, et cetera. Like protecting due process, protecting, um, just being fucking normal. You know? Just like to be fucking normal, like is, the, is a really great case right now because everything is so chaotic that we've become used to chaos and crisis as like, as like our day-to-day -day state of affairs. And for sure, the left has, I mean, like think of the contradiction here. On one hand, you have uh, Noah Berlotsky or whatever, um, that guy sucks. advocating for minor attracted people research. At the oh, same yeah, time, at the same time, they act, they have people like, acting like horny DMs and shit are this like huge criminal problem <laughs> that needs to be litigated in the public eye, which is just like shit that everybody does because everybody is imperfect. Like the right can win, I think, if they just get back to this like bougie, lib like uh, 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 actual liberalism. 
that's what they need to do right now is to be really the last liberals because liberals at this moment have collapsed upon all their contradictions. This is not liberalism. Liberalism would not be treating Kyle Rittenhouse, um, would not be cheering on an innocent young man going to jail for 30 to life just because it's convenient to their political narrative. Liberals would say, let's step back and give this kid due process. Yeah, That's the shit you need to do right now if you want to win. Give me a second. Uh, go ahead, guys. I got to answer the door. Yeah. Yeah, I was also thinking about that. There's shit with uh, the sacrifice. Like, uh, Jeff, you wrote some shit about, like, sacrifice and cancel culture. Um, yeah, I think I mean, this fucking Kyle Rittenhouse shit is totally it, fucking, very like, interesting. Um, totally has to do with this, like, sacrifice. You know, cancel, there, cancel there's this shit. need totally, to uh, create you know, to, to sort of manufacture these figures who can be the objects of, of sort of collective hatred, right? And so he, um, he clearly kind of ended up um, being positioned in that way. And, and so, you know, it, I mean, I, the, the thought experiment I found interesting was like, I mean, speaking of pedophiles actually, but like, you know, this other Rosenbaum guy, right. Who, I mean, it was such a bizarre character because he, he just kind of turned up out of nowhere. I mean, he really was a kind of homo soccer type figure. Like he's, he's like a complete social outcast and pariah Rosenbaum. Right. And he, he just kind of drifts into this situation and, you know, everybody was talking about like, oh, Rittenhouse shouldn't have been there. Well, I mean, the guy who in some sense really shouldn't have been there was Rosenbaum, right? Because he was really just this kind of complete loose cannon, just kind of floating around looking for, looking to, you know, seemingly mix it up um, with somebody. And, you know, he, yeah. so, so it's interesting that he actually was in some ways the more, I mean, I, I'm interested in the way that, you know, this sort of contagion of violence and so in some sense, he was actually the better suited figure for that role, right? Because he was kind of this, you know, quite monstrous figure um, who, who was also completely abject. And, you know, you, you could imagine him just kind of um, becoming himself a kind of object of collective hatred. And yet instead, he actually managed to kind of, in some sense, deflect the violence away from himself towards Rittenhouse and thereby, you know, and thereby kind of transfer that status to Rittenhouse, right? And so, you know, I saw the stuff about uh, like, oh, angry white man or something. And like, <clears throat> you know, there's not many pictures of Rittenhouse where if, if anywhere he actually looks angry, right? He always looks kind of goofy and like, you know, way out of his depth, kind of sweet, right? So, whereas if you look at, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you look at Rosen, if you look at Rosenbaum, you know he kind of looks like this figure of like one. I mean, he's even like a yeah. Sandman, right? So what's he really looks weird autistic, is to my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it's I. I just the whole situation is so weird because <clears throat> you know it seems like it with Rittenhouse in particular. It's clear you have somebody who, you know, there, there are all these other figures who are kind of made to serve this particular function, right, in the discourse, right, which is kind of this, this sort of sacrificial figure who, you know, is, is usually kind of abject in some way and who's, um, <clears throat> you know, who, who sort of fits all of these requirements, right, who, who can be the, the sort of object of collective hate. And, um, you know, in various ways, he just... He was such a poor candidate for it, um, yet they sort of <clears throat> still managed to force him into that role. 100. Yeah, totally. Totally. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing was incredibly, incredibly red-pilling. Like... Oh, dude, yeah, how they frame that shit in the media, man? Because I wasn't really paying attention to it. I mean, it, it really... Holy shows, shit. It really does prove that these motherfuckers can spin Anything. Any, <laughs> Dude. And, and not only will people just take what they say at face value, you know, one of my good friends, um, a great painter who I red-pilled the 
fuck out of this year. But, but um, he just texted me this morning and he's like, I, I didn't even know that Rittenhouse's quote unquote victims were white until, were white, yeah. until like two days ago. And not that that even matters. Like anybody who watches that video in good faith, it is A, incredibly clear that he had a serious self-defense case. I mean, you could yeah. even possibly make the case that if he hadn't opened fire, he'd be dead, period. Or at least grievously fucking injured. And B, not only, <laughs> I mean, the kid's kind of downright impressive. Like he didn't even fucking open his firearm until the exact moment that it was like absolutely clear that he was in serious danger. Totally. And, you know, like. He's a good I, shot too. Yeah, and I, and I don't, I don't even want to like, I mean, I know there's like this huge tendency to like have this debate about whether he's heroic or not. I don't even think yeah, that's the The point. hero worship is kind of stupid. Um, I mean, I get it. Like, I get it too you, because you see like, this they're kid, so pissed off at why yeah, these, you, how, how these people are trying to frame him. I get it. but Yeah, and you see this like young kid under threat from the most powerful people in the world all lying and assassinating his character. I think from his perspective he probably went there with what he considers to be noble intentions sure you can call it naive um but that's not illegal i think the whole thing was really honestly truly fucking depressing i really do like i mean this is why i'm so glad i get i've been like consistent in my politics like I believe in due process. I always fucking have. The real, and I think why the debate about this got so heated and why a lot of the two sides stuff or both sidesism was a little offensive is that the case did have massive implications because what they were really trying to do was to equate the fact that he was both a Trump supporter and a gun enthusiast with murderous intent, because they charged him with murder in the first degree, which means they were trying to make the case that he showed up to kill people vigilante style. There was absolutely no proof that that was the case. There are literally fucking videos of the kid not just treating counter-protesters, but giving first aid to the Antifa Looney Tunes while yeah. he was there. So really, this was about criminalizing antagonistic political beliefs, criminalizing the fact that he's a gun enthusiast, whatever. And I will say, it is, it's great that the jury did the right fucking thing because I was really worried. Like, I mean, I really it, it thought- It was gonna set a precedent, like for, that, for shit to come? Absolutely. Like, yeah, I totally. really thought that the, the jury would be like open and shut once they saw the video. And then once they heard all the testimonies, like, like this is a, whatever your opinions of the case are, the facts on the ground are the kid was in serious danger and he opened fire and his gun was legal and they had to drop the fucking gun charge before they even deliberated. And it did like restore some faith and in the fact that maybe the justice system still does stand outside the totalizing forces of the media. But think of like really how sick these people are that they would be okay with a young man spending 30 years in prison because it flattered their politics. It's really kind of sick and, and evil. And I don't know, it, it, the whole thing kind of hurt to watch. Yeah, I didn't really give a fuck until I seen the Matt Orloff video that he put together, where he put together all the different camera angles and shit, and then talked about all the different places that the media, uh, different media publications, and how they were framing it. And when I really watched that video, sometimes you needed something like that to really put it all together for you, because I just wasn't really paying attention to it. Um, and then I watched that video, and then I was like, holy shit, 
uh, I seen it on the Jimmy Dore show. And I was like, holy shit, this is actually crazier than I thought. This is actually maybe worth thinking, thinking about and talking about. Um, and just how insane the media is um, with twisting these stories and fucking the goddamn media, like liberal apparatus and how, and how it fucking, it, uh, you know, it's like it, it necess- it didn't even need to necessarily lie to anybody. The apparatus, it's such a powerful force that like, like everyone's saying, like they just thought the whole time that these people were black that you killed. You know what I mean? Like that's just how yeah, powerful it- the apparatus is. I mean, so two things. One, you know, I haven't really, I, I've thought about trying to dive into a, see, see what I could find on the more conspiratorial end. But like, you know, if, I mean, <laughs> I, f- I find Rosenbaum like the most sort of fascinating, bizarre figure in all of this because he's not a protester. He's not, he's just this kind of, again, like totally abject sort of social pariah who's like, done completely monstrous things in his life um is is clearly just like a complete like social refuse kind of figure right um but you know it's it's almost as if 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 he had (laughs) if he had been essentially a kind of mk ultra type oh dude kind of let him loose in there i mean if it, it it would have been um let's let's just put it this way like if that had happened then um, the effects might have ended up being pretty similar, right? Because if you just wanted to let loose this kind of vector of violence into this volatile situation and just see what happens and realize that whatever happened, the media, the major media organs could kind of spin it in such a way, you know, if, if he ended up attacking some BLM protesters, he could be a skinhead neo-Nazi. Mm. If he ended up getting shot, he could be a... innocent i mean as he ended up being an innocent um you know sort of good-hearted protester out there i mean (laughs) last week i saw him named described as a protester in the new york times right i mean this is still how people describe it um so you know he's such a weird figure like wild card in this whole story because he does seem to be the one according to the all the video evidence who kind of turns it right yeah, totally. Um, I'm not sure first. there is this other couple as well who have some kind of weird, um, <clears throat> who are who are also this kind of lumpen, you know, heavy criminal record kind of people, um, who he seems to be kind of um, have some kind of association with in in some of the video footage, and who also at some point, you know, at a crucial point, like one of them fires a gun in the air, right? So, I mean, you know, my, because I read a lot of conspiracy stuff, I was like, man, you know, if, if you wanted to identify sort of, you know, these MK Ultra type people, right, who have sort of um, been, been in and out of prison and psychiatric institutions. Yeah, dude. And then just imagine like, oh, he just happened to be turned loose on the street. Like, I'm not saying that this is true. I'm just saying like, no, the story is so perfect. Like, what, what do you guys, what happens to have been turned loose on the streets on the day of the stuff? Yeah, yeah, dude. And like, What's your guys' possibility that you think this is a psyop? For the full episode, go to Drug Cult Gang Patreon. The link is in the description. Upside down props in a Jumbotron way up.
with suicidal bombs.